Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. I'm going to ask one of our friends to come up here. And to most of you, he needs no introduction. To some of the new folks, he does. But for those of you here that were here last week, we mentioned Hill Creek Community Church. And when we started, they opened up their house to us and allowed us to walk with them. It was a precious time. For three months, we walked together as a church family and grew together. And, and, and God is still doing some amazing things there. But the pastor, Pastor Chuck, and his beautiful wife, Janice, and several of the members are here with us this morning. And uh, there's a ministry opportunity that God has opened up. You know, how many know that the harvest is ripe? It's ready. So God needs us to be laborers. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers where? Where did he say? Send them to church? Where did he say send them? Into the field. Well, here's a field opportunity for us. As many of you know, Chuck and Janice White are involved in a ministry called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. For years, they traveled around the country, even went to Russia and, and established some teams in Russia who are still traveling across Russia and into other uh, European nations, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ through drama. This is a very, very powerful drama. We've done it several times. Seen hundreds of people come to the Lord as a result of Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. That being said, I'm going to invite Chuck to come up for a couple of minutes. And he's going to share with you an opportunity that has opened up that I'm really, really excited about that you can be a part of. So Chuck, come on up here. Chuck White, give him a hand as he comes. Amen. There you go, my friend. So we get to transition to this one. You get to transition to that one. All right. Praise God. Uh, let me share something with you. I want to share some scripture with you. Uh, just a second here. Ezekiel 22:30. Ezekiel. Let me put my glasses on so I can read. <laughs> I'm getting old. Er. All right. Ezekiel 22, chapter 30. It says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall. Make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. Now, did you hear our sister just say and speak about the land? Reclaim the land. And how do you do it? By Jesus, by his name. So, and, and, and I caught on to that. I'm thinking, absolutely. On behalf of the land, we stand in the wall, stand in that gap. God was looking for someone to stand in the gap. But it says he found no one. God found no one. What a sad thing. In Luke, let me flip over there right quick and read Luke to you. Luke 14, 23 says this. Then the master said to the servant, go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. God wants his house filled. God is a hungry God and he wants to see his house filled. And the last one's Matthew 5.16. That says, let your light so shine before men that what? They may see your good works. You may see. They may see your good works. That's what God wants us to do is to shine our light. What are these scriptures? What do they have in common, church? What do they have in common? Is salvation. 
That's what God's talking about here. That's what I read into this. It's salvation, and that's what I want to talk to you about, what Don was saying. Through the drama, God has opened doors that I never would believe would be opened. This is a worldwide ministry. Like Don said, we went to Russia, and it's his fault we went there. Because he was, my wife is extremely cold-natured. And Don's saying, yep, I believe they'll send you to Siberia. Two weeks later, the office called and said, guess where you're going? <laughs> Siberia. And I've I blamed him ever since. Yeah. It, was, it was amazing. <clears throat> but it's Salvation Church. And we're going to use the drama to build the kingdom. It's not about building a specific church. It's about building a kingdom. And we need your help. We need to put together a group, a cast, that wants to reach out to the lost and to the hurting. Anybody know somebody that's lost or hurting? Anybody know somebody that needs God? The revival that my brother's talking about? I'm ready for it. How about you? Yes. I pray for it. God, send that revival. Well, he's going to send it, but he's going to send it through us. He's going to use us for that revival. So I'm, I'm asking you, if I had to beg you, I would. But I'm asking you, don't think that you can't because, okay, it's drama and I don't do drama. Don't think that way. Listen, God is not looking for the biggest He's not looking for the best. He's not looking for the most gifted or the most articulate. He's not after the greatest talent. That's not what we're asking here today. Or even the most religious person. If you sit in your seat and you want to be used, God, God, use me. Has that been your prayer? Have you ever prayed that? This is your opportunity. There's speaking parts in the drama, of course. But there's a lot of behind-the-scenes things that you don't have to have speaking parts. And it's going to be June the 25th at Dan Nicholas Park. We're going to get out of the church, out of the building, and take it it. to them. I love it. So, if you will pray about this through the message today, pray about it. Meet me in the war room right after the service today. We'll be there. I can give you more information. And we can talk about it. If you have any questions, uh, it'll be amazing. This is not asking for a long-term commitment. This is not like months and months and months of practice. How does it work? Tell us just a little bit about how it works. We go into a church, and on Friday we meet the people that have, that the pastor got together and the people for the cast. There could be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 75 people there. And so we get together and we have a message together. Why are we here? So we get on the same page. That's Friday night. Friday night we unload a trailer with about, I don't know, twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 worth of special effects and lighting and all. It's really done up nicely. And we take over the stage and the sanctuary and we completely change everything on Friday night. And then on Saturday morning, we get together, we have a little devotional. And we, Janice and I, will have the, the cast members to read. And they read, all, all the women read the same thing, all the men read the same thing, and all the youth read the same thing. And then we cast them then. Okay, you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. I don't, when someone comes up to me and says, I don't want to speak in part, guess what? They get a speaking part. 
I love it when somebody says that. So don't tell me that back there today. Don't, don't, don't say I don't want one because I put your name down under the other list. I'm being honest with you. So let God have his way. Oh, and it, that's Saturday. And then we rehearse. I give you the script and then we rehearse. And it's so funny because they're trying to, I'm trying to block them and show them what to do and where to come out and how to say it and how the emotions behind it. And then they're trying to read the script for the first time. People will say, you cannot do anything of quality that quickly. They're wrong. They're right if it's the world doing it. But God can. Yeah. God can. God wants us stretched out of our comfort zone. He does. He truly does. So we practice Saturday. They go home and learn the lines. Then they come back Sunday. We have service in the church. And then Sunday night, we do the drama for the first time. Now, let me tell you about the drama. I, I, I wish that I had had the, the videos that I could share with you. But literally, like Don said, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that come to Christ. It's a powerful, God-ordained and anointed drama. It is. It truly is. If you want to be something uh, uh, with something very powerful, be a part of that. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. It's Amen. going to be amazing, brother. It is. It's going to be amazing. Well, one of the things I'm most excited about, Chuck, is the fact that for the first time that I know of, we're taking it outside the church. Yeah. We're not going to do it on Friday night. We're not going to do it on Saturday. We're not going to, and, and, and then do it on Sunday. Right. They're doing it on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Doing it fr- Saturday night. For the first time in Dan Nicholas Park. And guess what? God has given us an open door to do this in the amphitheater at Dan Nicholas Park where there's hundreds and hundreds of unsaved people meandering around the park who have the opportunity to come, sit down with a Coke, and watch a drama and get saved. How cool is that? I mean, this is taking it outside the walls of the church, which I'm most excited about. And what Chuck is saying, let me help you here a little bit. What he's saying is he needs some cast members. That's all he's asking you to do is either be a cast member or operate a spotlight or, you know, maybe you've got a strong back and you don't even talk. You can help him load a truck. There are a lot of things that we all can do. There's a part that each one of you can play. So we're just asking you if you will be involved. Now, when is it, Chuck? June 25th. That's a Saturday evening. Okay, so it'll actually be the 23rd, 24th, and 25th. No, we're not doing it that way. This we're not time, doing Don. it this way. We're, we're not doing the, the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So how are we doing it? We're not. What we're going to do is the, 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 yeah. Tell I, me. I don't know. <laughs> but what we're going to do is I'll give you the, instead of the morning and, and like we do it on Saturday morning, I hand you the script and then I'm trying to show you how to do it, directing you. I'm going to give you the script about a week ahead so that you'll be able to know what part you're having. And Don has has said we can actually practice here. So we can run a rehearsal here. We'll work that out. And we'll have like one rehearsal, maybe, maybe two. It'll be real quick. It's not going to take a lot of your time. I know everybody's busy. And we certainly would never take anything away from church. We're not going to, if, if it's not going to be on a Wednesday night or any church night. So I'll give you the scripts ahead of time when I find out who you are. And then we'll get together, hopefully here or somewhere. And we'll get together and we'll practice it. We'll run through it. Then we'll have a dress rehearsal. I probably will do that at the park. Okay. So a state park, a state park. And they're allowing us to come in and do this massive drama. That's amazing. It's, it's amazing. It's God-ordained, church. It is. The, the time frame is, is really rough. You know, it's, it's like 
this is an inside drama when you can get all the lights out and we've got special effects with the lights and I, we just got a new set of lights that will knock your socks off. It, it's amazing. But we're going to do it outside and we need to start. They close the park at 9 o'clock. So you're not going to be there late at night. You, if, if you're there after 9 o'clock at night, you're spending the night. <laughs> so anyway. It's going to be something. It's going to be good. Praise God. Thank you. We're excited, Chuck. Thank you for sharing that, brother. And for those of you who would like to be a part of that, if you'll see Chuck after the service in the war room, which is the third door on the left, that way, the black door on the left. And he will fill you in on all the information. And uh, really, folks, it's, 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 a, it's a huge commitment, but with a huge payoff. I have been a part of it on several occasions. I think we've done the drama, what, three, four times. And every time... I've grown as a result of it, but the most amazing thing is to stand back and just experience the joy of watching people come to Christ as a result of the drama, and that's really what it's all about. So if you've never done anything like that, hey, stretch your wings a little bit. Take a step forward and, and, and step out by faith. Uh, if I could get one of the ushers to bring me a, a bottle of water, I would appreciate that. Becky's got one here. She went and did that. Thank you, honey. Appreciate it. All right. I want to share with you just this morning a, a, a short message. I say short because uh, it was meant to be four hours long. We're going to cut it down to three. So, <laughs> just kidding. But um, I'm going to begin a series on spiritual warfare. Uh, God has really been dealing with me ab- about this. And even more so in the past few weeks because we have been in spiritual warfare. I've been in spiritual warfare all week. I'm in spiritual warfare every day of my life. But we've got to learn how to fight the enemy. Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Listen, folks, when you join up, when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not in for a cakewalk. It's an endurance thing, you know. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. So it's it's something we, we commit to. We are called disciples for a reason. You know, we're not disciples just because you sign up and, well, I'm one of Jesus' disciples. No, you're a disciple because you become a disciple. You become disciplined in your life. Part of the discipline in your life is, is beginning to experience and walk in and live in spiritual warfare and understand. One of the first things, though, we've got to know is who your enemy is. I mean, I see so many, many people a lot of times are fighting the wrong enemy. They're fighting their husband, their wife, their kids, their boss. They're fighting the government. You know, I see it on t- all the time on Facebook. I see Christians fighting, but they're fighting the wrong enemy. You know, I mean, put stuff on Facebook about the president. That's no way to really fight because the Bible doesn't tell us to do that. The Bible says to do what? In 1 Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, pray for those who have the authority over you. That's our responsibility for those who are in leadership and authority over us just to pray for them. Not to criticize them, not to become their number one critic. I find myself doing the same thing. And I'm like, God, I have to repent. A lot of times I put stuff on there and I turn right around and take it off. Because the Holy Spirit convicts me. I, sometimes I get so mad when I look at stuff, I see stuff and I'm like. <laughs> and I'm like, Holy Spirit says, really? That's not what I told you to do. So I have to go back and delete what I just said. You know? And, and, and so... God has really been teaching me a lot about knowing your enemy. Now, I want to take you to a, verse, a passage of Scripture that many of you are familiar with. 
And, you know, we, we always have these pictures, especially, you know, we see it in Sunday school when we talk about put on the whole armor of God. And we draw up these little cute little things, you know, about the armor of God. But there's really so much more to it than that. But I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 10. And this is in the Amplified version. How many know I like the Amplified? I like loud music. I like everything loud. So that's why I like the Amplified because it's louder. And, and he tells them in uh, Ephesians 6, in the beginning of 10, he says, in conclusion, and Paul's just wrapping up his letter to the, the church at Ephesus. And he's telling them, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with him. Draw strength from him. Strength which his boundless might provides. Put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy-armed soldier which God supplies that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the strategies and the deceits of the devil. I think the King James says, the King Jimmy says, the schemes. All the deceits of the devil, for we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents. But against the, the death, uh, the, 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 Darknesses against the powers, against the master spirits who are the rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly or the supernatural sphere. Therefore, put on God's complete armor that you may may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger, having done all the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place. Stand therefore, hold your ground, having tightened the belt of truth around your loins and having put on the breastplate of integrity and of moral rectitude and right standing with God and having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with the first the firm-footed stability the promptness and the readiness produced by the good news which is the gospel of peace lift up over all the covering shield of saving faith upon which you can quench all the flaming missiles of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of which the sword of the spirit wields which is the word of God or the rhema of God pray at all times on every occasion in every season in the spirit with all manner of prayer and entreaty. To, to that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance in behalf of all the saints, which are God's consecrated people. You know, when it comes to spiritual warfare, there are three enemies that the Christ, Christian that we must identify right off. These are things that we fight within ourselves, which are the world, the world's way of thinking. What did Paul say in, in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2? He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service, and that you be not conformed to this world, but you be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Not to be conformed to this world, this world's way of thinking, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind through the word of God. Now, that's what we're commanded to do right from the get-go because we have three enemies that we fight with every day, every moment of our life, which are the world and the flesh, the desires of our flesh, and, of course, our old nemesis, the devil. Everybody say the devil. devil. Now, we, we sometimes give way too much credit to the devil, and sometimes... We don't give him enough. You know, Paul, uh, uh, Jude said, in, in Jude, he said that there are some who, who, who are foolish enough to speak evil of dignitaries and, and powers. You know, Moses, when he was contending with the body of, of, of or, or Michael the archangel, when he was contending with the devil over the body of Moses, he said what? He said, the Lord rebuke you. In other words, he understood his foe. He understood he was standing against. He didn't say, look here, devil. You know, get out of my face, leave the body of Moses alone. He said, the Lord rebuke you. I'm going to let the Lord handle this. 
Lord, you just step in, take care of this matter over the body of Moses. So he did. So sometimes we have to, have to understand that we do have a powerful foe. His power lies in his ability to manipulate, to deceive, to lie. These are the schemes of the devil. And we got to know what the schemes of the devil are. How he distorts our thinking, how he distorts things and perverts. That's all the devil can do. He cannot create anything. He doesn't have that ability. All he can do is to pervert what has already been created by God. And that's what he's he's a master at. So we have to know what our enemy is. We are a tripart being. We're made up of soma, which is our body. We're made of soul, which is suke. And we're made of the spirit, which is our pneuma, which is the spirit. Now, when we see the word suke in the Greek, in the Latin, it's the word psychos. Or psychos. Psyche. Everybody, Everybody familiar with your psyche? We hear that word used a lot, don't we? But it's the same thing as suke. It is our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. That is the soulish part of man. A spirit part of us is our very life itself. It's the very breath that we breathe. How many know when your breath leaves your body, you're gone? There's no more life in you. So when your breath or your life is gone, your spirit is gone, there's no more life. And so our, our, our mind, will, and emotions is, our, is what makes up our soulish part. And of course, this is the soma. It's just the body. It's just the house that we live in. Everybody say this with me. I am a spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a body. That's who you are. You're a spirit who has a soul who lives in a body. Now, we put a lot of credence on this right here. We get up and we dress it up and everything else. And we need, really, to focus a lot on the other two parts of our, of our being. Our soulish part, we need to train it to yield to the Spirit of God. Because if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8. So to walk in the Spirit means that we walk in a spirit realm, in a realm that we don't see, a realm that we don't understand in the natural. It's something that's ordained of God, and it's something we learn from Him. Because that which is Spirit is Spirit, and that which is flesh is flesh, okay? We are right behind a gym. Now, we go to the gym to work on the soma. And somehow, it affects our psyche a little bit. It makes us feel good about ourselves. If we can go, we work out, we get all buffed up. We feel good about ourselves, you know, about our body. But we're still neglecting the spirit, man, because the Bible says that bodily exercise does profit a little. But godliness is profitable to all men. When we learn to be a godly person, we understand the concept of spirituality. We understand who we are. And and the most important part of our being is not our soma. It's not our suke. It is our spirit. And that's the one that we neglect the most. Where do you think the devil attacks the most? He operates in the realm he understands. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. I want to go back and I want to kind of break some of these things down so that you will know who your enemy is. Paul said, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we, we fight against enemies in the spirit realm that we cannot see with our eyes, nor are we capable of overcoming them with natural means. So our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world of this present darkness, and against the spiritual for- forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, what are rulers? Well, in the Greek, it's the word arche. It means magistrates, power, principalities, 
principles, rules, those forces that rule over us. Now, if you go to the book of Daniel, you will see a prime example of this when Daniel was, was wrestling in prayer for 21 days. And it says that Daniel was praying and he was fasting and was seeking God and he was waiting on an answer. Well, the answer had been dispatched from the moment that Daniel began to pray. Now, an angel appeared to Daniel and he began to tell him, from the very moment you began to pray, I was dispatched with the answer, but I was withheld. I was opposed by the prince of Tyre, which was a spiritual entity that ruled over a certain territory. Now, when Daniel was praying this prayer, there was a transition taking place. There was the government of the Medes and the Persians that was being transferred over to another group of rulers. And so Daniel was in prayer, and, and Daniel had lived through three different transitions from the Babylonian Empire, the Medes and the Perds, Persians, and there was one other uh, that, that he lived through. But Daniel was praying th- during that time, but the answer had been, had been given, but it took 21 days for the answer to get through to him. You see, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. How many of you know how to wrestle in prayer? You know, sometimes we pray and we expect, you know, just when we pray that, that, that God is just going to just answer right away, and he does. But I want you to know that there are hindering forces that will attempt to stop or thwart your prayers from getting through. That's why Jesus said, you know, to continue in, in importunity. In other words, to continue to pray, continue to ask God. Continue. It's not that we're bombarding heaven with our prayers or any of those things. You think God don't hear our prayers? He does. But there are spiritual forces that are at work. I want to tell you something. The devil has a legal right to be the prince of the powers of the air. He has a legal right to rule over this terra firma, uh, terra firma rather, over this earth, over the, what this thing, we, this planet that you and I are on because Adam, yielded that to him in the Garden of Eden. Adam yielded the authority that God had given him. God said, I've I've given you, Adam. You have authority over all the earth, over all the birds and and all the the fowls and all the fish of the sea and everything that moves. You have authority over it. When Adam committed high treason against God, he yielded that authority over to Satan. But how many know that Jesus has taken it back? John chapter, 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 says, For this reason the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And if you look up that word destroy, it literally means to undo, outdo, and overdo everything the devil has done. So the devil's made a mess of things, but Jesus has come to correct the situation. Now, if you go to the book of Hebrews, you will see that, that, that there is a time coming. It says that, that there is a time coming when He has put all things under his feet. The dominion that belongs to Christ will finally be revealed at the end of this dispensation that we're living in. So the devil's demise is coming soon. His lease is running out. Isn't that good to know? And it won't be long. Why do you think he's working so hard to keep it? He knows his time is up and he's working overtime to destroy the lives of people, to, to deceive and to do everything he can to hinder people and destroy their lives and, and to literally take them to hell. That's what the devil is trying to do with people. He knows that, that he is doomed for hell, so he tries to destroy every person that God has, has created in his own image. And why do you think that is? Because we're created in his image. We're his children. He hates God. He hates us. You know, he don't like God or his kids. So he tries to destroy us. 
Hell is not reserved for people. It's reserved for Satan and his, his angels. The ones who followed him out of heaven in rebellion. So anyway, we move on. We've got to know our enemy. So we, we're, we're wrestling against rulers, which is the arche. And then we're wrestling against powers. This is interesting because when I looked at that word powers, in the Greek, it's the word exousia. We know that means authority. We have authority in Christ. But the powers of the air have authority. These are the delegated authorities, magistrates, or jurisdictions. Well, I could, we could say that Congress is one of those powers. The president, those rulers and authorities, the, the Shah of Iran, or whatever. I don't know who rules there now. Uh, anyway, it doesn't really matter. He's one of those. And then we have the world forces. The world is the word ion. It means the world or this age or the course or an infant of the long time. And forces is a world ruler. It's, an, it's really speaking of Satan, referring to Satan and his angels who, who rule in the realm of this darkness, this present darkness. He hides in the shadows of lies and deception and uses fear and intimidation to rule in his, per, his perverted domain. Now, how many, before you came to Christ, were scared of the devil? I mean, he just scared the bejibbers out of you to think of the devil appearing to you. You lived in that fear. I mean, I was afraid of him. I'm, I'm, I'm not lying. I was, I was scared of him. I didn't like the thoughts of the devil. Somebody mentioned, well, the devil, you know, the devil is going to get you. I was like, <laughs> scared the daylights out of me. But when I came to Christ... There was still that fear that I didn't know how to overcome. And, and literally, I remember one night, it was maybe six months after I was a born-again believer. But I would have these awful nightmares. And I would literally see, almost like in my dreams, into the spirit realm. And I would see demonic oppression. And, and one night, I was lying in bed, and it was, oh, it was, it was like a, a heaviness settled upon me. And literally, it was taking my breath away. I thought I was going to die. And I knew that if I could just say the name of Jesus, that the power would be broken. Because I was a new believer, and I'd heard about the power in the name of Jesus. And I'm lying in bed, and, and, and literally, I, I wake up, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say it, but I couldn't. It was like somebody had a hold of my lips, and they just wouldn't move. It's like I was trying to say, <laughs> and I finally just yelled it out. And I had a roommate in the other room, and I was like, Jesus! And he gets up and comes running in. And, What's wrong? So I'm in a battle. I'm fighting here. <laughs> but that's the only thing I knew to say. But I want to tell you, the power broke when I said the name of Jesus. Amen. The power broke. So every night after that, then I started, before I went to bed, I would just cover my prayer. I would cover my dreams in the blood of Jesus. I would pray and I would plead the blood of Jesus. You know what? I didn't have those dreams anymore. That's the only time the enemy could effectively attack me was in my sleep, in my dreams. And he was taking advantage of it. But the Lord knew how to, how to overcome it through the name of Jesus. And I learned something there that the power that we have in the name of Jesus gives us the ability to overcome the, the enemy. Now, Satan, like I said, has, was granted a lease on planet earth at the fall in the Garden of Eden. But his lease is soon to run out. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 3 and 4 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case? The God of this world. Everybody say the God of this world. 
The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So the devil operates through deceit and, and he loves to try to pervert the gospel to keep people from not seeing it and getting a grasp of the gospel. Folks, I grew up in church. I grew up in church. But I was 20 years old before I ever became a true born-again believer. Because I did not understand the concept of grace. I grew up in a very legalistic environment. You know, thou shalt nots and thou shalts. And if you couldn't do all the shalt nots and the shouts, then you couldn't be saved. And even if you could do the shouts and the shout nots for a few days, and, and then you failed in one of the shouts or the shout nots, then you had to go back to the starting line and start all over again. It was frustrating. And that's what, that was the kind of environment that I, that I grew up in. So after a while of the frustration of that, I finally just said, forget it. If I'm going to be a sinner, and I'm going to go to hell anyway because I can't do all the shouts and the shout nots, then I might as well have a good time on the way. You know what I'm saying? But it was when I understood the grace of Jesus, when when one night when I was 20 years of age and I'd been out partying, but I had someone who was praying for me and they were doing battle in the spirit realm. They were fighting on my behalf. They were praying and interceding and fasting for me. My brother and a friend of mine had spent three days in prayer and fasting and on the third day at four o'clock in the morning, the Holy Spirit just quickened me in my spirit and I had a vision of Jesus hanging on the cross and with the, with the, the scroll of John 3.16 scrolling beside it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Of course back then we didn't have videos and stuff. All we had was movie screens so that was you know what I likened it to. I saw this movie screen appear and I saw that and I saw Jesus hanging on the cross and then I saw me hanging on the cross which was frightening. But then immediately I saw Jesus again. And that vision helped me to understand what had happened at the cross because I never could understand because I had tried to read the Bible and I couldn't understand why Jesus being such a good person who all he did was love people and help people, why did they kill him? You know, why didn't they take Barabbas? Why didn't they kill all the evil people and leave Jesus alone? He was so good. And, and then I understood that the reason he died wasn't because of what he did. It's because of what I did. And that changed my life. So my brother who had been fighting the spiritual battle and my friend who was fighting the spiritual battle won a great victory because they were, were fighting against spiritual forces and they understood it. They had tried to witness to me. They had tried to come to me. And, 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 and my brother stole all my pornography, put tracks in his place and everything else. And, and, you know, just all of these kind of things to try to get me to come to Christ. And, you know, it helped that I could see the Word. And it gave God something to work with. There was some seed planted there. But what really happened, what really brought me to Christ is when they hunkered down and they said, we're going to fight this battle in the Spirit. Because my brother would try to witness to me and I'd get mad at him. I'd cuss him out and I'd storm out of the house. You know, I mean, I'd gotten to be a, a, a wicked sinner. I was one of those like Mary Magdalene, you know, who came to Jesus and she was a notorious sinner. And when Jesus got a hold of my life because of what they did, I didn't re- even realize it till sometime later that my brother and my friend had been praying and fasting for me. But that's what broke the chains of bondage in my life. 
Because I couldn't see what was going on in the spirit realm. I knew there were things happening in the spirit realm. But there are all kinds of things happening, folks, that we don't see, that we don't understand, that are happening. And we just see things in the natural. Sometimes we get angry at people. I used to get angry at my dad, blame things on him. I would blame everything else on everybody else. And, you know, it wasn't their responsibility. It wasn't their fault. It's that there were spiritual forces at work that were trying to thwart the will of God in my life. When I was nine years old, I remember going and standing before the preacher. He called me up out of the pew. And I went and stood before him. And he looked down at me from the platform. And he says, God has his hand on your life. You're called to preach the gospel. And all during my teen years, I never forgot that. But I figured out, I, I, was, I was trying to think, Lord, how are you going to do this? Because I'm a rotten sinner. <laughs> and there were, there were even times when I tried to disavow God. But God was faithful. Now listen. The God of this world. Everybody say the God of this world. Has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So there are spiritual forces at work in the minds of your loved ones that you're praying for. And the light of the gospel of Christ has to penetrate their minds. And there has to be a revelation or an unveiling in their mind in order for them to see and understand the gospel to the point that they can believe. Your responsibility is to begin, is to, number one, be the light. As Chuck said, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good, good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Because when people see the good things that God is doing in your life, it brings glory to Him and draws them to Christ. Okay? I could see the things that were going on in my friends and my brother, and, and, and I wanted what they had, though I wasn't going to tell them that. I just didn't know how to get there. But the Holy Spirit drew me, and He, and he brought me to that place. Now, there, again... Um, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Now, we've got to pray that the revelation of the gospel of Christ can break through their minds to get to that point, get them to that point that they can believe. So, understand that. We're fighting against spiritual forces of wickedness. Spiritual forces are, are those pneumaticos, are, 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 are the things in the realm of the spirit that we cannot see. We can't see. Can you see a spirit? No. You can say, well, I see ghosts. No, you don't. You don't see no ghosts. A ghost doesn't have a body. You can't see it. A spirit can possess a body, and you can see the work of that spirit in someone, or even in an, an, an object such as Jesus, you know, when he cast the, the demons out of the man that had the legion of spirits, and they went into the pigs, and the pigs rushed down into the water. I mean, they couldn't handle what was going on inside of them. They, they were not equipped to handle that. But there are demonic forces that are working in people's lives. I want to give you a revelation of something this morning, and I, and, and I hope that you will take it in the spirit that is being given. Because if not, someone can tell, have a knee-jerk reaction to it and really get ticked off about it and this kind of thing. Say the preacher was pointing his finger at me, or that, somebody, but I'm not. I want you to understand something. The word witchcraft, witchcraft. If you look up the word witchcraft in your Greek lexicon, it's going to say pharmakia. Now, when you see the word pharmakia, what does that give you images of? Pharmaceuticals. Pharmakia. Pharmacy. When 
we try to deal with spiritual things in the natural realm, all we can do is help people to cope with their problems and their situations through pharmacia, which is a form of, and we, you know, pastor said this morning, I was in witchcraft. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that they become a controlling agent in your life. What happens when someone begins to take drugs to deal with problems? They get addicted. They get addicted. And when they get addicted, they begin to lose something very important to them. That is their sense of identity. Their self-control. Because before you know it, what becomes most important in their life above everything else is how do I get more of what's helping me, helping me to cope. And they become dependent upon it. And really witchcraft is control. When you think of it, when you think of witchcraft, what does someone cast a spell for? They want to control someone else. It becomes a form of control. And who do you think might be behind that? The devil himself. And I say that to say this. The enemy has done a good job of controlling so many people. Because God has given us gifts One of those gifts is the gifts of healings. But sometimes it's so much easier to pop a pill than it is to believe God. So much easier to to, to take a drug than it is to believe God for our healing. When the Word of God says He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes you are healed. Now, that's the Word of God, Isaiah 53, 5. And that's what we need to go back to is to trust the Word of God. I was talking to our new members class this morning. And, you know, I I went through that myself. I, I had to struggle with it. What do I do, God? What do I do? And I really wanted the will of God in this. What it came down to is I had to trust God for my healing just like everybody else. There was a point in my life when I would stand before people. People would come and I would pray for them. They didn't get healed. What would I say to them? Well, just increase your faith. Increase your faith. How do we increase our faith? Well, how do we get stronger? You exercise. You exercise your faith. God put me in a position where I had to exercise my faith. I had to believe God for myself. I wasn't believing for somebody else. All of a sudden, I'm believing God for me. I was, you know. And when you do that, you have to learn to rest in God's word. You don't have any other choices. You have no other recourse. The drugs that I was taking weren't working. They didn't work. So that was out the window. I only had one recourse, and that was to trust God, which is what God wanted me to do in the first place. But God had to take me through that journey to get me there to that point where I could trust him. Then I realized I was not wrestling against flesh and blood. or I was wrestling against principalities and powers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. I was fighting against the schemes of the devil because the devil was out to destroy me. It wasn't that somebody else was trying to destroy me. And it really wasn't a product of my past. What was happening is the devil was trying to destroy me now. He hates you. 
He will do all he can to control your life and destroy you. He will use you if he possibly can. And he uses a lot of people when we speak doubt and unbelief. When we constantly are critical and, and, and we, are, we are just... Uh, thank you, Brian. That thing's getting on my nerves. Devil put it there, I think. But it's, he tries to get us to be filled with bitterness. John Bevere did a series called The Bait of Satan. How many have gone through The Bait of Satan? You know, that's, that's one of those things that's a prerequisite for leadership in this house is that you go through The Bait of Satan. And the reason why is because we need to understand that the biggest bait that the enemy offers us is bitterness and unforgiveness. That's why Jesus was so hard on the subject. He said, if you don't forgive those who sinned against you, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. Well, that's pretty heavy-duty stuff, isn't it? So he leaves no recourse. We have to get over ourselves and forgive. We've got to. But John Bevere says that, that, that there are levels of offense. One of those levels is like you've got a casual acquaintance. I mean, you're riding down the road and somebody whips over in front of you. You don't like it. You get offended for a moment, but they go on, you get over it. No problem. I don't know that guy. Probably never see him again, so it's easy to forgive him. But then there's another level of offense. You have a close friend. And that friend betrays you. That's a little more difficult to get over because that was your friend. That was your friend. You never expected that out of them. So there's a little higher degree of getting over it. And then there's another degree. That's where someone in your family, a close family member, somebody you've grown up with that you've, you know, that, that you've trusted with your very life and you lay your life on the line and, and then they do something to betray you or something. And then, boy, the offense against that person is so much more difficult to get over that. I see brothers and sisters who don't even speak to each other. It's such travesty. I'm talking about blood brothers and sisters who will not even be in the same room together because of something that happened somewhere in their past and, and they can't seem to get over it. See, that's a higher level. And then there's another level. And that's someone that you trust explicitly. You'll trust them with all the details of your life. You will go with it to them for counsel. You will trust them to, to speak truth into your life. And if you are betrayed by a pastor or a Christian counselor or someone who has high spiritual authority, that's another level of getting over it altogether. I'm never going back to that church again. Well, that pastor offended me. Why? Because we represent God himself. We're representatives of his. But... The hardest one to get over, the most difficult one for us to get over is when we feel betrayed by God. When we prayed for something and God didn't seem to answer or he didn't give us the answer that we wanted. And so we get angry at God and, and, and we get offended at God. That's the most difficult one for us to get over because there's no higher level of offense than that, is there? Boy, the devil loves to get a hold of that one, boy. If he can get you to doubt God and begin to accuse God, just as he did Job. You know, what, would, what did Job say when his wife said to him, Job, man, you stank. 
Your flesh is just rotting on the bones, man. You, you're a mess. Don't you come near to me. Just, oh, you're so disgusting. Why don't you just curse God and die? And, curse, and Job says, you speak like a foolish woman. Though God slay me, I'll trust him. And in all that Job went through, he never, ever took offense at God. He's a good example of that for us. Jesus himself, with all that he suffered, he bore our offenses. He took them upon himself. Now, that being said, this is a root that can get inside of us and destroy us completely. And we never, we're not even aware of it. It's like a silent killer, like cancer. Cancer is a silent killer. It gets inside of our bodies. We don't even know what's there until we begin to, to experience other symptoms. And we've got bitterness and unforgiveness in our lives. We don't even know it until we begin to experience other symptoms. When people can't even stand to be around us and we wonder why. Why don't nobody like me? Because you're so full of bitterness and unforgiveness. Nobody wants to be around that. You know? People can, can sense it. Because when we've got it, it somehow just seems to ooze out of us. Because we can't seem to get over it. And Paul said, uh, said this in Ephesians chapter 4. He said in verses 25 and 27, he said in, in the New Living Translation, he says, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. In verse 26, and don't sin by letting anger control you. In other words, I think the King James Version says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't let the sun go down while you're still anger angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil the King James Version says give no foothold or give no place to the devil you see when we are angry and full of bitterness and unforgiveness what we do is we open our hearts up to the enemy and he takes advantage he takes advantage he moves in takes up residence and, and he, then he begins to wreak all kinds of havoc in our lives and in the lives of those around us. How do I know that? Because of what the Bible says in Hebrews twelve fifteen. It says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Wow. It not only affects us, it affects those around us. So you see how the enemy works? Know your enemy. Know what's going on. Understand when something happens that you are called upon to keep short accounts. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.33, it says, Forgive even as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's a tall order, isn't it? How much has God forgiven you? Everything. So how much are we called to forgive? Everything. You see, we're fighting against unseen forces, things that we can't see with our natural eyes. I hear people all the time, well, I'm going to give the devil a black eye. Well, you could if you could see him, but you can't see him. You can't give a black eye to somebody you can't see. How would you know you gave him a black eye anyway? You wouldn't know. But we can defeat the enemy. If we understand that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. She's up here worshiping. I love it. To pulling down strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Give us that one. I'm not going to get there this week. We're going to go there next week. I'm going to teach you how to do warfare against the enemy. You can defeat the enemy that you can't see. 
when we do it in his realm, when we do it in the realm of the spirit. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit, spirit. God has given us weapons of warfare which are mighty through him. He's given us armor that we can put on. He's given us the right thinking and strategies to, to, to defeat the enemy. I want to teach you those things. Now, have I mastered it? No. I wish I could say that I had. But I'm discovering more and more through his word how to do it. And you can too. And God has taken us through some places where we had to learn it the hard way, hasn't he, honey? We wish we could have just learned it the other way, you know. It's one thing to learn something out of a book. It's another thing to learn it through experience. Sometimes we have to do both. So God gives us his word, and sometimes we have to walk through some things to teach us some things. So I want to share those things with you and help you get to those places where you can gain the victory over the enemy. I want to tell you something. Uh, last, Sunday, uh, last Saturday, when uh, Bishop Harvey was here, we had a, a SALT meeting right back there where those tables are. SALT stands for uh, Sustained Apostolic Leadership Training. And one of the things that he talked about, he and, and Shirley, his wife, they talked about your identity in Christ, knowing who you are in Christ. And as he was talking about it, I was thinking about a song by Matthew Ward called My Name Is. <laughs> and hello, my name is. And it was based on a story about a young man who went to Teen Challenge by the name of Justin. He was a star quarterback and all conference and all of those things that, you know, just really good athlete, but he was injured, and he blew out his knee and started taking pain medications, pharmacia. Started taking pain medications, and the next thing you know, he got strung out on the pain medications, and it led him down a path of self-destruction, and he got to the point where he lost his scholarship. He got kicked out of college. He had gone to college. He got kicked out of college. And all he lived for was the drugs. It was no longer about the pain in his knee. It was the pain in his heart. Pain in his mind. And his mother took him one day to a place down near Sanford, North Carolina, Southern Pines, to a friend of ours ministry there called Teen Challenge. And she drove him up without telling him where she was going, and she basically dropped him off. She said, I'm going to leave you here. And he says, Mama, if you love me, you won't leave me here. And she says, Son, I love you too much to take you home. And she left him at Teen Challenge. And what happened over the next several months was that God changed his life. He was born again. These guys prayed with him on a daily basis. They helped him find his identity in Christ. And so when he told Matthew West his story, Matthew wrote that song, Hello, My Name Is. You just got to listen to it sometime. But as Frank was sharing with us about knowing who you are in Christ and knowing your identity in him, finding your identity in him, it really spoke to me. Because you see, folks, I was like Justin at one time. I could have stood before you and said, Hello, my name is Don and I'm a drug addict. Because that's the secular form of treatment. 
is to admit that you're a drug addict, so you constantly have to tell yourself a drug addict so you won't forget. Or I was an alcoholic, or I'm a pervert. But that's not who I am. Because when I became a believer in Christ Jesus, old things passed away. I was born again. Have a whole new identity. Hello, my name is Don Vest, and I'm a child of the one true king. Amen. That's who I am. That's who you are. When you know him and you're connected with him through the blood of Jesus and through what he has accomplished at Calvary, that's who you become. And this morning you can say if you're a child of God, if you know it in your heart, I want you to say it with me. Hello, my name is who? I'm a child of the one true king. I belong to Jesus. That's who I am. You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information, visit us online at destinycity.org.